Thank you for pressing start on episode 39 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games, followed by a review of our featured game, Chicory, A Colorful Tale. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds. The games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bo Poe, and joining me is my player too. Playing games, he wants to review. He's the Indiepedia with physical media. I'm talking about the stock pressing, secret game guessing, holding your controller, disco cola. What is going on? Man, you're sounding like a, a different announcer every time. That was more like a Transformers recap. You know, guy. I didn't go into that with a particular voice, but I want to try and experiment almost every time. Yeah. I haven't found the voice yeah, yet. I, I don't it. know if there will be the voice. But that one you... was very much like last time on the Transformers. Yes. As soon as it started coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh, that's what that's what I'm going with. Okay. <laughs> anyway, what's going on? Anyways, I'm feeling I'm feeling a little gray, if I'm honest, a little like a lost kid. But with the right outfit today, I think I've been able to get through. How are you, Bopo? I'm doing just fine, my self-conscious predecessor. <laughs> <laughs> Those are references to our featured game, Chicory, A Colorful Tale. And, you know, this is a game that originally, way back when we were vetting featured games, um, you poo-pooed this one. I did. And then you brought it back to life. And it actually, <laughs> I think it is, after now having played it, we both played it for the first time on our own time the past few weeks. I now think it is worthy of a conversation between the two of us. Absolutely. And I'm glad we did pick it. Um, and Disco Cola, I want to just start this episode with um, a story from you about something you got to do this past week or so. Um, it's something you don't get to do every week, and it's not directly indie game related, but it is kind of adjacent to our world. And yeah. I think it is very fun. Yeah. So I was in... Let me let me set the stage a little bit more. We live in flyover country. <laughs> we live in a society where no one gives a dang about us. No, we live in flyover country. So um, just just keep that in mind as I move forward. But uh, yeah, I was in Denver for a work conference, totally unrelated to anything uh, about this. But uh, we happened to find out while we were there that the Denver Fan Expo was just across the street that very same same weekend. So after all of our, you know, work deals were done on that Friday, uh, me and one of my other sort of nerdy colleagues went over to the Denver Fan Expo. And, you know, I took a lot of time to explore um, the, the merch tables, but uh, I'm someone that doesn't care much about celebrities. Not my thing. Sure. There were a lot of them there, though. Mm. If you look up the Denver Fan Expo, like, celebrity panel, it is stacked. Like, way more stacked than you would expect for Denver. But there was one person in particular I was really excited to see, and that was David Kay, who, for Bopo's sake, is the voice of Clank from Ratchet & Clank. But for my sake, was the voice of Megatron for, like pretty much the late 90s and all of the early 2000s. So uh, Beast Wars, Transformers Armada, Energon, Transformers Cybertron. Just a very prolific uh, Transformers voice actor and just across so many cartoons. 
Um, I don't think quite as many video games, uh, but uh, yeah, it was such an exciting thing to get the chance to meet him. I didn't get to talk to him for too long. Uh, I was in line for autographs, and the person in front of me had like seven specialized autographs on <laughs> Sashomaru Funko Pop boxes. <laughs> so that person was there for probably they were insane. They were there for like probably half an hour yeah, getting sure. stuff signed by David K. Oh my word! But I, I was like, oh God, I'll just give them a break. They're going to be done in like an hour. Yeah, you don't want to inconvenience them, especially when that wasn't even the goal of your trip. Exactly. And they're wrapping so, up. Yeah, I, I got a couple of Beast Wars themed autographs and shook his hand and took a picture that's so cool yeah and you shared that picture with me when it happened i had no idea this conference was going on like across the street from your conference you were attending you know so um you send me that just out of the blue i see the picture and my jaw dropped and you know you said this fan expo was just stacked with talent just in this one picture you sent me i also saw in the background Next to David Kay's booth was Nolan North's booth. Yeah. And I fangirled at that <laughs> because I've been a fan of Uncharted. Yeah. Of the Uncharted series for many years. And just the fact that those two guys are in that concentrated area in one photo tells me, oh, yeah, the whole thing's probably stacked. Yeah. The two people, people on the other side were the voice of uh, uh, Joker from Persona 5. And then the person directly next to him was the voice of uh, Solid Snake. Uh, yes, David Hader. David Hader. I would have had a tough time like picking where to go. Yeah. You have, if I may mention this, you have siblings who love Metal Gear Solid. I know. And they would have pooped their pants yeah. when they saw that. If if he, if David Hader was still there when I was done with David K, I would have stood in line. It was close. Peter Cullen was supposed to be there too. Oh. He was the voice of Optimus. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm looking at David K's IMDB right now and he is in what I think qualifies as an indie video game. Correct me if I'm wrong, but okay. he is a voice in Psychonauts apparently. Yeah. I think technically the original Psychonauts could be considered indie. They're kind of like triple I, you know what I mean? Where they're kind of riding that, <laughs> that edge between... You know, triple I, double oh, I, I hadn't heard double that A before. and triple I like I. That. Yeah, um, we've reviewed a couple triple I games. Like I, I would, would say, so I would yeah. argue Hades yeah. is a triple I game. Yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, that's very cool. And you know, it's not directly indie game related again, but I imagine lots of indie game creators are inspired by the works that David Kay appears in, yeah. and a lot of these people. And I just think that is so cool. And it's a world you're very much interested in. You know a lot more about than the average person, which is voiceover performance Mm -hmm. you know that's something that is um very much part of the video game world so but yeah because of where we live this isn't something that happens for for bopo and i every day we we have to spend big money to (laughs) go to things like this on a normal basis (laughs) right yeah well i'm glad you got that experience and it was fun hearing about it um hey if you're enjoying underplayed right now please consider giving us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, It takes just a few seconds and goes a long way in showing your support of the show. And with that, we will move on to our secret games. Secret games. Secret games. I know you're playing without me. Secret games. Well, I'm here to tell you, baby. Secret games. I've been playing too. Secret games. Secret Games is our first review segment where we each review a game we've been playing in secret the past few weeks. I don't know what Disco Cola's been playing. He doesn't know what I've been playing. Uh, We can pick any indie game to play and review as long as we haven't talked about it before. And we'll start with you, Disco Cola. I am very curious. 
Let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game for episode 39 of Underplayed. All right. Well, I did have to switch up my secret game because of time constraints. Uh, My secret game is actually a lot older than I expected and comes from 13 AM Games, and it is called Runbow. Runbow. Yes. Runbow was originally released on the Wii U and later ported several times, including under the title Runbow Pocket on the 3DS. And I just sent you that trailer uh, so you can sort of get a pretty quick idea of what Runbow is all about. Okay. I will take a look while you talk. So first and foremost, I would say that Runbow is a party game. You are meant to play this game as a chaotic platforming race with like eight or nine people. Which you did. Which I totally did. No, <laughs> I didn't. I, as a father of two toddlers, I only get to play video games after 11 p.m. I obviously did not explore uh, this aspect of the so game. So you're putting this as a giant asterisk on the front. like Exactly. Your mileage may vary. Your mileage should vary, probably. Okay. Um, you play this game as intended. I did not get to. Yeah, so there's going to be some notable uh, differences probably with the single-player experience. Um, So the story of Runbow in the single-player experience is pretty simple. The game opens with several various colorful characters celebrating on a beach with a trophy in the center. However, it kind of seems like someone wasn't invited to the party the grayscale Satura is off to the side watching, seemingly in envy, and uh, she's decided she has had enough and steals the trophy away. You must take control of either the masculine-shaped hue or the feminine-shaped vowel and make your way through various color platforming levels in order to reach Satura in the four different sections of this world. Each level will provide one of three different kinds of challenges— So the first and most common type of level you'll play is one where you simply reach the end. This is a Mario get-to-the-goalpost kind of a a zone. Um, The second is a level where you must collect a specified number of what's called run bucks. These are just coins. (laughs) Collect, you know, collect 10 coins as fast as you can. That's, That's the end. Okay. And then the final level type is where you must defeat a specified number of enemies, usually by jumping on their head or smacking them with your punch. Mm-hmm. Um, after completing a level, you will get one, two, or three medals based on how quickly you completed the objective. So replace medals with bronze, silver, gold, you know, whatever you need to to think of um, as as completing the level. The only purpose of these medals, though, is just to unlock art in the game and maybe character skins i think mm-hmm. are part sounds of like, the unlocks sounds like super one more jump yeah probably you know what actually i was just re-listening to one of our previous episodes with atomic run gun jump gun you're gonna find so much of what you said in that review mm. probably in this review gotcha uh very similar vibe um so the main mechanic at play in runbow is the color mechanic in each level the background color will swap between colors on sort of like a timed interval. And the color of the background will affect the platforms that you're able to use. So each platform has a color. And if the color of the platform happens to be the same color as the background at the time, that platform doesn't exist. So you cannot use it. So you either have to wait or jump a little bit further or maybe jump backward to a platform that does exist now. 
Um, so yeah, mechanically speaking, the game becomes about timing your jumps and taking command of airtime and keeping track of the position of platforms that may not necessarily be visible at that given time. And real quick, I'm noticing when the color changes, you're getting a little preview of the next color, right? The next color starts to pop into screen. And so you don't just blindly get a new color and you have to react in that moment. You actually get to preview. Right. And each level is in a set order too. So it's, it's usually about four colors and then it'll go cyan, blue, Green, orange, cyan, blue, like the green, order orange. Of the yep. rainbow. Okay, got the it. The time intervals do change, though. Okay. So, um, so yeah, you have to do all of this as fast as you can. The goal is to just beat the thing as fast as you can. Sure. So, apart from a simple run and jump, you do have a couple of other moves in your arsenal to help you reach your goal. Um, you do have uh, what might be the most basic, a double jump. Second, uh, and the one I used a lot is sort of like an upward but at a slight angle sort of a boost like a little upward (laughs) um this launches you higher than you your double jump and offers you a chance at sort of recovery if you're falling in a pit and you don't want to be falling it's a great move but you have um less maneuverability and just generally less control so probably meant to be used more sparingly than i used it but uh that that's uh that's a good move to use um, you also have sort of a forward dash and you use this by pressing your jump button twice in really quick succession. This sounds like it would help you get around really fast, but there's like a really sizable cooldown at the end of your forward dash. So, um, this is mostly, I think, meant to help you move horizontally through small straight gaps. So it's not like super useful in a lot of situations, mm. I don't think. Um, you have a light punch attack, which I mentioned earlier. Um, this can be used while standing, running, and what seems like to a lesser extent while you're airborne. Um, and this is used to defeat enemies and break bricks. And then lastly, the move that I use the least is sort of a butt pound. Um, you can defeat enemies this with this one or break blocks below you. Um, there are a few occasional power-ups, but these are mostly meant for multiplayer the only one I actually encountered in story mode was a speed boost, but I know that there's one that like swaps places with a player, and th- th- those were the only two I experimented with. I, I did turn on multiplayer and played against myself for a, a minute. <laughs> that um, sounds disorienting. Yeah, it, it's not fun. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much all of what makes Runbo the Runbo experience. I really, I really didn't leave much out at all. Um, so. <laughs> I'm going to move on to things I like about Runbo. Uh, I think the overall concept is a fun idea, and I think it does lend itself to a decent single-player experience and makes perfect sense for a chaotic party game. I think there is a beauty in this game's simplicity um, that is becoming more and more rare. More indie games will tend towards something like super technically advanced or... Um, metaphorically vague or as a piece of high art, Runbo is straightforward and it's simple and it's not pretending to be something that it isn't. So like of all your secret games up to this point, this is probably the best candidate of the idea of what you see is what you get. Yeah. You know, when I'm looking at this trailer, this is what I can yeah. expect this, when I play This the is game. a yeah. video game, video game. Sure. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. Um. Bite-sized levels give the game sort of an addicting feeling of manageability 
and it also has this one more try feeling because of it, reminding me of what you said about atomic run gun, jump gun. You know, you can you can spend a long time on one level because it can get frustrating, but uh, they're so small that by the end of it, you feel more motivated to try another one. The game has a lot of costumes and colors to customize your hue or your vowel, but perhaps more importantly, and this is my favorite thing about the game and why I really wanted to play it, you can unlock and play as so many different indie game characters. <laughs> now, it's, 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 not like, uh, it's not like Volvi, where Volvi's been in more indie games than anybody else. <laughs> I love Volvi. this yes. game has more indie video game characters in one game, I think, than any other video game on okay. the planet, probably. Okay, yeah, there are some of those characters that just show up everywhere. Yeah. And so now I'm wondering this game has this game has Shovel Knight, this game has Shantae, this game has Gunvolt. This game has like Whoa. two or three characters from uh Bit Trip Runner. I was going to ask about that one. Uh and it's got the kid from Mutant Muds. Oh my gosh. Um gosh, who else is in this? I'm trying to pull it up. It's got someone from SteamWorld Dig, Guacamelee. Yeah. Oh. Uh a game called Sports Ball that I'm not familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> That's just sports. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's so many uh, indie game characters in Runbow, and it's so cool. That's awesome. So Yeah, I see the SteamWorld Dig guy at the end of the trailer as a little flash frame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They don't do anything different. Each one has like a unique victory animation and maybe a cool sound effect, but that's that's pretty much it. You do, however, have to do like specific tasks to unlock each one, and most of those tasks you do are related to the character in some way. So mm. you have to do so many butt pounds to unlock Shovel Knight because he does the the downward pogo. That makes sense. And you have to get hit by a laser to unlock Gunvolt because he has like a pretty notable laser uh, boss in that game. Okay, so, I can dig that. Yeah. Even if the actually playing them isn't different, I yeah. can dig like- It's so cool that yeah. I get- to, It's not just a passive experience of, you know, complete so many levels and you get Shantae. Exactly. You know, you have to do something that relates to her. It's so cool. So yeah, that's my favorite thing about the game. <laughs> the, my favorite thing about the game is characters from other games. Very nice. Um, I do have a few dislikes about Runbow. Uh, I did mention that one more try feeling, but this is also a bit of a dislike because the game can get pretty frustrating. Um, there are quite a few levels that are just like annoying, and this has to do a lot with everything else I don't like about the game, which is the controls don't always feel consistent like i can hit what it should be a double jump but it doesn't always work or i can mm. do an upward dash and you have like a cool down before you can use another move even if you're still airborne mm -hmm. but it doesn't always trigger in what seems like a consistent time frame mm. just based on being airborne coyote time in this game kind of sucks like the minute the the very second you're off of a platform, like your your input controls are, you are airborne. Like you don't have any of that coyote time really, and the hitboxes seem unfair. Like you'll you'll bop on an enemy and it might send you flying in the opposite direction, or it might defeat you. Uh, even though you think you're on top, I'm thinking of like, uh, the the hotel owner from Celeste, where oh, sometimes I yes. feel like I should be bopping him on the head, but I'm yeah. actually sent flying. Yeah, that caused you frustration. Yeah. Yes. So I'm thinking of that. I hit objects that destroy me when I feel like I 
you know, have moved past them. So hitboxes don't feel really fair in this game. All of that is probably not so frustrating in an experience that's supposed to be chaotic. But in this single player experience where I'm trying to get to the end and have a a technical, you know, platforming experience, it doesn't feel the best because there are a lot of times where I do I do get into a flow and like the the levels are intelligently timed and designed so that if you know what platforms are coming up and you know what colors are coming up, you can, you know, pretty much without stopping hop on all the platforms and get to the end in time to get your three medals. Like mm. it's timed really well. But the controls don't really lend itself to that as much as they should, I don't think. So it that's really a bit of a letdown, and I, I wish it was a little bit better. So anyways, Runbo, it bills itself as like a chaotic game. And when that's the goal, I think this game is effective in that way. I think it can be really chaotic. Um, but as a single-player experience, it certainly provides some enjoyable moments the construction of the game with its scoring and bite-sized levels does have me at times interested in challenging myself to filling the board with masterfully completed levels because like atomic run gun jump gun you don't have to do levels in any order you have upwards of like i don't probably like 110 levels that you can do you just have to unlock the adjacent level before you can gotcha so you can choose your path pretty well but i don't other than just like that that scoring and that bite size levels, I'm not super compelled. But that that does have me interested in maybe filling out the board because it is set up in a pretty uh, attractive way. I did find myself in a satisfying flow state on a few occasions, but the controls leave a lot to be desired for me, and I tend to find a little too much frustration to get really hyped about returning to this game as a single-player game. So Runbo as a single-player game for me Gets a 6.0 out of 10. Okay. Um, yeah. And despite it being kind of multiplayer focused, it seems, it's kind of interesting that the trailer bills the challenges as single player or co-op challenges. So it's kind of already telling you in there, hey, you can play this by yourself. You can play this with others. But the gameplay looks like it is multiplayer focused. Mm-hmm. And so um, I kind of understand that this could be a very different experience with other people. Um, because you're talking about some of the messiness of like the control stuff when you're just going by yourself. And I think of other side-scrolling platforming multiplayer games like the new Super Mario Brothers games, mm-hmm. where if you've ever played those with other people, it's chaos because you have people cooperating. You have people jumping on each other's heads without <laughs> re- realizing they're doing that. You have people falling down and turning into the bubble. And then they're bubbleized and they're, oh, can you pop my bubble? And then some people don't want to do that and they're just, you know, messing with them. And it is just a different party experience where the messiness becomes a feature, not a bug. Yeah. And here it sounds like if you're just playing by yourself, you're mostly focusing on what's not working and you're really not in control of some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's unfortunate. Would you play a lot of multiplayer of this game with other people? After uh, after doing the single player stuff, I mean, maybe kinda... not, maybe not a lot, but I would play some. It just de- it, it kind of depends on the crowd. I too, too, I think like yeah. there are certainly crowds of people that I know that I wouldn't necessarily want to play this kind of game with, and that they wouldn't enjoy. 
Mm-hmm. Like they they don't enjoy platformers. They're very much like the Mario Party sure kind of people. Well, for a kind of game where it is platforming and it's side scrolling and you're trying to speed through the levels, this does sound like something that appeals to me. So if you ever want to do local multiplayer on this, just to try it out, yeah, I would be willing. We can give it a shot. I, we've been streaming Cuphead. We're going to run out of manageable cuphead as far as a multiplayer experience so we can definitely uh give this a stream or two yeah once we get done with expert mode and like <laughs> s ranking all the uh expert levels we'll we'll jump to yeah this. yeah i don't i don't know if s ranking is manageable with with multiplayer you'll you'll have to carry me way too much um runbow is available on nintendo switch playstation 4 which is where i played it windows Wii U, if you already downloaded it, new 3DS, if you already downloaded it, <laughs> Mac, and Xbox One. R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> eShops. It is time for my secret game. My secret game is Sludge Life. I haven't heard of this. Oh, I just sent you the trailer. Oh, I love the thumbnail. Okay. Yeah, so you can watch that while I talk. Uh, Sludge Life is a first-person sandbox game first released in 2020. It was developed by Terry Vellman and Dose One. It was published by Devolver Digital, which is a very big name in yep. indie game publishing. Um, oh, speaking of Volvi, yeah. Speaking of Volvi, yes. And Volvi, I think, was placed into Sludge Life 2, which as at time of recording just released like a week ago. Oh, so, okay. Sludge Life 2 just came out, and... I was going to talk about some of the Steam Next Fest demos I tried, one of which was Sludge Life 2. I played that. It has like a self-contained demo. It's like a 10-minute experience. Uh, And I was so attracted by that that I actually did what you did for this episode, where I punted my secret game for another time, (laughs) and I chose Sludge Life for this episode within the past like week. Um, But Sludge Life is published by Devolver Digital. And you might think, wow, a Devolver Digital game, you're picking that as a secret game. Uh, Isn't this kind of like a big deal? And actually, this is one of the Devolver published games that I think flew more under the radar, which made me think, oh, it's probably more appropriate as a secret game Mm -hmm. rather than a a featured game. Um, Because it just doesn't have as many reviews out there. Um, It doesn't seem like as many people have touched this one compared to other Devolver games. I think Carrion was even... Pushing it a little bit, I think. Right. And this is even below that. So, um, yeah. So I thought it was obscure enough to play, and it's very different than anything else I've played for our show. So I'll read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, Sludge Life is a first-person, open-world, vandalism-centric stroll through a polluted island full of cranky idiots and a vibe so thick you can taste it, end quote. <laughs> I don't want to taste this vibe. <laughs> <laughs> and this vibe, honestly, will not be for everybody. I want to say that up top uh, because this is an adventure game that's um, filled with graffiti and um, dark humor and psychedelia. And you play as Ghost, who is a graffiti artist or tagger as they're known (laughs) in that world and ghost lives in a small shipping container and he wants to literally make his mark on the world and actually this is where this game kind of has synergy with chicory a colorful tale Mm. in a really odd way like they're very (laughs) different personality wise but in chicory you're painting things and here you're tagging things with with spray paint and it's so i didn't even plan that but there you go 
And uh, the game is set in a shipyard slash island where there's just oil and waste all over the ground. So anytime you're not on a, a ledge that's elevated or a building or whatever, you're walking in oil. You're walking in sludge. <laughs> and this is where we get the term sludge life. All these characters are living in a sludge life. And they're just kind of trapped there. And there's this mega corporation called Glug, and they control everything on the island. This is a capitalist society. Their name is slapped onto buildings and signage all over the place. They control these people's lives. And uh, there is no opening scene or storytelling. The game just starts and you just start walking around this world and you experience everything through contextual storytelling. And there are three different endings you can eventually find through items you interact with, uh, through actions you take. But those aren't immediately apparent. You just have to start discovering people and finding places to graffiti and you stumble across those things. And this entire world is immediately open for you to explore. You can immediately go from your starting point, which is kind of in one corner of the map. You can go to any other place in the map almost immediately. And so the goals of the world are to find hidden areas, find places to graffiti, uh, and possibly find a way out of this sludge life. And there are a hundred spots you can tag with graffiti. You can find other taggers and residents around the island and get dialogue from them about their situations. Um, When you pause the game, the presentation looks like a laptop, like you pull open a laptop and that's your pause screen. And uh, there are apps you can find and use on that laptop. So they're like little mini games you can find for your laptop. And you can also find items that help you in exploring. Um, There's a glider that lets you take a sustained jump off of a building. Mm -hmm. Um, You can find a camera that helps you identify tag spots. And uh, you can find warp stations that let you fast travel to distant points as well. And so a lot of the gameplay is jumping and climbing. And this is where this game kind of becomes uh, a parkour sort of experience where you might find a route that requires you to jump on girders or shipping containers. And then you have to jump from those onto the roof of a small building. And then you have to jump from that roof onto the roof of a larger building. And so you're jumping on structures to get to higher places a lot of the time. But you're also finding cracks in buildings. You're finding air ducts to squeeze into small places. Um, If I had to compare Sludge Life to one game I've talked about before, I think it's easily Jazz Punk from Mm -hmm. season one. Yeah. Because you're walking around this sort of sandbox area. Uh, There's a very offbeat nature to both games. And so that's like the best picture I can paint here. But Moving on to what I like about Sludge Life is all of the setting, the tone, and the vibe of this game because it is unlike anything I've experienced. Uh, This game is dripping with sludge, but it's also dripping with style, Disco Cola. It is literally dirty, right? It's a dirty game. There's trash everywhere. Uh, You can pee in the first person. I think you see that in the trailer. (laughs) can't unsee that Um, everyone is smoking cigarettes I found a cat smoking a cigarette yep saw that um, too and it's a black cat like my cat Flynn and so I was like Flynn you're not supposed to smoke (laughs) bad boy bad boy I was clicking uh, L3 that makes you fart in the game you know so (laughs) dedicated fart button dedicated fart button so we got a a meow button and stray now we got a fart button and sludge left right and all of this I'm sure sounds very uncouth 
and very disgusting and off-putting. And it is. Well, instead of being as off-putting as it might sound, for me, Sludge Life is something that works a little bit better because it's very deadpan and it's very almost mundane Mm -hmm. with all of this grime that it's throwing at you. It's not annoying in its personality for me. Um, And so that makes the nastiness bearable and actually kind of enjoyable for me. Um, So this game rides this fine line between reveling in grime and being understated. And I think that's a really cool balance for this personality of the game. So I just love the commitment to the style while not annoying me because I think so many other games would be so sophomoric with this stuff and it would be really Mm off-putting. But I'm not finding that in Sludge Life. So then there's the visual style. And when you're playing this game, it looks like you're watching this grainy, like 90s VHS home movie (laughs) with like a really warm color palette, like maybe almost burnt color palette. Yeah, yeah, I see that. And I'm just in love with this visual style. And there are other touches like how rough all the edges look. There's this um, setting that you run into in PC gaming a lot called anti-aliasing. I don't know if you've heard of that. But anti-aliasing is basically where if you turn it on in a game that offers it, it will smooth out really hard edges and make okay. things look more organic and realistic. And it's it's usually uh, it's it's more taxing on your hardware. So that's why some people need to turn it off versus on. But in this game, it looks like somebody just turned off the anti-aliasing. Everything's so rough and jagged. And so I think that is very fitting, though, because it is taking the color, it's taking the grain, it's taking the jaggedness, and it's just throwing that all together into a world that looks dirty and and grimy. It looks like you're looking at things through a grimy filter, Mm -hmm. and it's a very conscious decision. And the exploring in Sludge Life is rewarding for me, too. There are countless little nooks and crannies. Every building is hiding secrets. There are some buildings I revisited uh, several times, and each time I'm finding something new. Also, I'm finding items that help me explore, like that glider. Uh, And finding those things is an amazing feeling because they're just sitting out in the world, and no one is telling you to go find the glider. It's in a spot that a lot of people will eventually stumble across, but because you find it yourself, you feel really rewarded. You feel like it was my decision to find this. Mm -hmm. I'm the reason I found this glider, not because somebody told me to go look for it. But it's also not mandatory to the point where like, oh gosh, I wish I had a glider to finish this game. So it's a really great balance there. Um, You can go pretty much anywhere. Um, At first, I started straying really far away from my starting point, and I was worried that I wasn't following like the quote-unquote correct path, but there's no correct path. And that's just such a freeing feeling. The music is great. One of the developers, Dose One, is a rapper, and a lot of his sensibilities carry over into this game, especially with the soundtrack. There is an artist in this game called Big Mud, and it's kind of a persona that I think Dose One is playing. I think he's almost role-playing as Big Mud as a character in this game. And Big Mud is a character... Uh, with you know very dense lyricism and a voice that actually kind of sounds sludgy, uh, that that really fits this world. And it's a lot of the soundtrack you're listening to. There's like lo-fi hip hop everywhere, and also when you tag a spot, you'll hear Big Mud's voice, uh, like reinforcing what you're doing. You'll hear a goo goo ghost, and it's just <laughs> oh, I love that feeling of getting that voiceover moment. 
Um, and then there's a mini game called Crypt Creeper. This is one of the laptop apps you can find. And this is dethroning knuckle bones from Clothes of the Lamb buddy. as my favorite game within a game for this season. Okay. Because it is about moving through a dungeon uh, one tile at a time, picking up these resources, battling monsters, and collecting coins and experience to purchase upgrades. And I found this to be really simple, addicting, and fun, which I also found knuckle bones, but here it's just going the next level where I want to play it longer. And there's even an achievement tied to it that I enjoyed chasing that not many people have. So I really liked Crypt Creeper. And you see that in the trailer. I do I see too. that in the trailer, yeah. So those are my likes with Sludge Life. And then I also have dislikes. Uh, the jumping and the gliding can feel a little weak. And also I tend to slip off of small platforms more than I want. Sometimes you need to be really precise with the platforms you're jumping on. And one slip up can cause you to fall quite a bit and restart a sequence of platforming you're doing. And so there are just moments where maybe the platforms are a little too small or maybe my jumping's a little bit weak for me. When you're not on a hard surface above the oil, uh, walking in the sludge is also quite slow. Mm. Um, it's just tedious to be in that sludge. Yeah. I want to immediately like find a way out of it because it slows you down like I don't know how much percentage. I don't like being slowed down in games, friend. Yeah, and so you can get into that quite a bit when you're traversing between areas of this island. Um, there's also, you know, like I said, very little direction in the game. And there are only three ways to get credits. And if you happen to get stuck, there's not a lot you can do other than look up what to do. Uh, so the game can be a little cryptic with what you're supposed to do. And then there is a, an interesting setup and story with the Glug Corporation. And this is something I'm actually praising, where the Glug Corporation that basically controls the islands, there's something really interesting happening with them story-wise, where you learn that the big statue outside the Glug Tower, which is like their corporate headquarters or something, it collapsed and it killed a cigarette mascot named Siggy that a lot of people really like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because of that, the Glug workers, like the common workers of Glug, are striking against the CEO and like the corporate leadership. Oh. And you see this big crowd outside Glug Tower and you're like, whoa, what's going on? And you talk to some of them and you learn this story and you see Siggy still dead under the statue and like, whoa, this is crazy. And I love that. But I think the game needs more of that. I, I want more of those um, storytelling moments. And most of it is just getting a vibe from other characters mm -hmm. on this island. It's, it's not like you're learning about this uh, what's going on in this world other than that club You're stuff. living in the world, but you're not getting invested in it as I, ghost. No, not not a ton other than the Glug stuff. Yeah. And so I wish more characters elsewhere on the island had little story moments like that that, that kept me a little more invested. But overall, I am all about that sludge life. Sludge life is a nasty triumph. Uh, most games, I think, would suffer by intentionally spreading grime over everything. Uh, but this game doesn't suffer. I think it benefits from it because it's showing you this crude and depraved world you don't get to experience in a ton of games. It gives you this small world to play around in for three hours or so, and then you're done. I think that's the perfect amount of time to be in sludge life. I felt satisfied and full after I found most of what it offers. I am going to rate Sludge Life an 8.5. That's exactly what I guessed. Nice. Heckers, yes. dude. And it's playable on PC, which is where I played it, through Steam, and Nintendo Switch. Awesome. 
Um, so yeah, you touched on it there at the end, but uh, my my main question throughout all of this is that we see a lot of of different characters in the trailer, um, but I definitely was like getting the sense that there's no no real connection. These these seem like NPC NPCs. Like maybe they give you a side quest or just say one or two things, and yeah. and that's about it. Is there are there any like significant relationships in the game? I will say the strongest relationships Ghost might have are with other taggers. There's a handful of other taggers. There's like, you'll see um, other identifying markers of other taggers Mm -hmm. before you meet them. And then when you meet them, sometimes they're on top of buildings. They're very disparately placed. And so it takes time to find them all. And then they give you a little personality and they'll give you like a little spot where you can um, tag next to their tag and make like a cooperative tag, like a cooperative graffiti moment. That's kind of fun. Um, but I felt connected to those characters because they were graffiti artists and taggers like I was. Whereas other people, like the person working at Burgermon, the burger place, they don't really have much to say to me. There's a whole apartment complex where you walk into all these rooms and people just kind of treat you badly. <laughs> they just have, they just kind of like scoff at you or say something rude, and then that's basically your interaction with them. So I liked finding the taggers because it felt like they were on my team, you know, mm-hmm. I was, yeah. in a way. Um, but yeah, it's it doesn't really go deeper than that for me. Okay. yeah, That's all I, all I really had. It reminds me of some of the things that I liked about um, like PS2 Grand Theft Auto games. Mm-hmm. Even though most of the time, all I ever did was put in the tank cheat code and just blow stuff up. <laughs> sure. The things that I did enjoy were like trying to hop up on top of of houses and seeing is there a reward up here for that. So, yeah. um, this is kind of like taking that element of those kinds of games and just like building the game around it. It seems yes. And you know, I I said at the beginning of this that I don't want to taste this vibe. I was just I was just you know jabbing at the the nasty nature of of the world, but I. This game does look really interesting to me. That's I, awesome. I am I am yeah. interested in trying it. I think you would like it. And I think most areas you see and want to climb to and explore are going to give you a reward of some kind. Like that's, there's that's rarely even if it's a bizarre uh visual. Like there's a room in the apartment complex where you open the room and there's just a big big baby in there. <laughs> I don't know why, but someone else like an hour later after I found that, someone referenced the baby and I was like, oh, I've seen that. Yeah. So there's fun little references within the game to itself, but nothing really terribly deep to the point where like you're on this big quest line. You know what I mean? Interesting. So that's that's sometimes all I need, though. And sometimes I'm really into just like this absurd stuff. Like in in the, the trailer, there's just this guy that works this looks like he works in a kitchen and his hand has just been like stabbed to yes. the cutting board and he's just standing there he's, he's like, like hey what's up dude yeah, yeah. oh a, this happened by it's the way. wednesday yeah. what's up and that's where this game is um very almost mundane yeah like i said it is it is just like chill and casual in its mood so even though you can pee in the first person that part i'm, I'm a little like i don't i don't need that that but. only happens around toilets okay so like you'll, you'll just <laughs> face a toilet and you'll automatically do oh, that. Oh, it's automatic. It's not a button press. Great. So th- so there's a lot of Super things like great. that. Yeah. So um, th- there are tons of fun surprises, lots of moments where I smiled or laughed in Sludge Life. Um, those are our secret games, Runbow and Sludge Life. Let's move on to our review of Chicory, A Colorful Tale 
It is our featured game. Chicory, A Colorful Tale is a top-down adventure game first released in 2021. It was developed by Wishes Unlimited and an ensemble of individuals that prominently features a guy named Greg Lomadoff. It was published by Finji, and I think we should always keep an eye on Finji because they're the publishers of Night in the Woods, yep. Wilmot's Warehouse, mm-hmm. uh, Tunic, I Was a Teenage Exocolonist, and the upcoming Revenant Hill, which we've talked about oh, recently. Of course. So yeah. um, I think they're like starting to get into that upper popular tier of like the upper echelons of indie publishers. Like I think they're on the the same plane as like maybe Thunderful. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one I was Thunderful thinking of. Publishing. So they might be trending upward toward the Annapurnas and the Devolvers of the world. So I think that's fun. Um, I'm going to read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, a top-down adventure game in a coloring book world full of vibrant characters use painting powers to explore, solve puzzles, make friends, and draw on anything from creators on Wandersong plus Celeste, end quote. So there we get even more on the developers. Some of these people worked on uh, games we like, including a game we've reviewed, which is Celeste. And we've also talked about Celeste already in this episode. Yeah, we did. (laughs) With Mr. Oshiro, is that his name? I think that sounds right, yeah. Yeah. So... Chicory, A Colorful Tale, begins, as all games should, with a question. What's your favorite food? (laughs) And this ends up being your character's name. The answer to that question ends up being who you are. And what was your answer? I actually, I have a few ideas of what your answer was, knowing you personally. I mean, I don't want to be wrong. Okay, you will, you will definitely be wrong. I would, okay, I'm not going to guess then. I, Just, well, I, I'm curious what you thought. Pepperoni. Okay, that is my favorite food. I had another idea. Oh, okay, so I was on track with that one. I was also going to just say cola yeah. or, or soda. Yeah, um, there's actually a cola in the game, which- There is a cola. If if that is what I would have picked, uh, would have been a, a funny surprise. Yes. Also, um, I know you like- you don't like bananas, but you like banana flavored things. I like bananas. You like bananas. I, so I'm bana- not a big fruit person in general. But... Oh, so that's probably not a strong guess. Yeah, then. yeah. Okay. What did you? So, <laughs> uh, we I started playing this game with my wife for a minute, uh, and we had just made homemade calzones for the first time that day. Oh. So uh, my name was Calzone. I love that. That's a cute name, right? It is a cute name for a dog. You yeah. play as a dog in this game. Yeah. That is awesome. And canonically, if you don't pick an answer for this, the dog's name is Pizza. Oh, is that right? <laughs> and so picking Calzone is really similar to that. Interesting. I think. You know, it's kind of in that world. Yeah. How about you? So mine was Papusa. Papusa. Do you know what pupusas are? I haven't had them, but I've seen them on food trucks all over town. There you go. So someone introduced me to pupusas like four months ago. And whenever I'm hungry, I usually think about pupusas now. And they're basically a griddle cake, but they're not like pancakes where it's sweet. It is like um, savory. It's it's grilled. It's filled with beans, cheese, and or meat. Okay. And so I get them with beans, cheese, and meat and- they're amazing. Now, I love them. Uh, they're like Honduran, I think. Okay. Yeah. The last uh, time you told me what your favorite restaurant is, seems like they might 
serve pupusas, but I don't know. I'm thinking of um, the Indian place. No. Oh, okay. Do you have a new favorite restaurant? No, because like, well, I think my favorite's been an Indian restaurant for a while. Oh, okay, then yeah. no. It's it's okay. you changed your favorite restaurant since I. Oh, knew. gotcha. Okay. It's been a while. Yeah. So anyway, you were calzone. I was pupusa. And Hello, pupusa. Yes. Uh, so pupusa was a fun name. And actually at first it was pupusas uh-huh. and I later changed, you know how you can change you your can name. Change it, yeah. I made it single form. So I, I made it pupusa cause I thought that was cuter, but for the purposes of this breakdown, we'll just talk about pizza, right? We'll just call it pizza mm-hmm. because that's the canonical name. This is a top down 2d adventure game that takes place in this land called picnic province. And this is a fairly large world where each area has a different food-related name. And so there's like this town called Potluck. Uh, there's a place called Elevensies. There's a river called Sips River, just to name a few. But most importantly, there's Luncheon. And this is a central location where the story starts. And your character is the dog Pizza. And Pizza doesn't have a default gender. It's kind of up to the player. So I'm going to use they okay. as a pronoun. And pizza is the janitor for Chicory. Chicory is a hare who is a wielder of a magical paintbrush. And wielder is actually a title that Chicory carries. She is the latest in a line of hundreds of wielders. And the role of wielder is passed down from master to apprentice. And the wielder is just supposed to maintain the color of the world. And they have the power to give color to the world. Uh, But one day... All the color in Picnic Province vanishes, and Pizza, being Chicory's janitor, goes to Chicory and discovers the brush is abandoned outside of her bedroom, and Pizza takes the brush. And this is kind of the inciting incident, almost. And the brush allows you to color the world. Uh, The world is now this blank, almost like coloring page for you to just uh, draw lines, fill in lines, and things like that. And Pizza encounters Blackberry, who was Chicory's mentor and predecessor. And there are these spots of corruption around the map. Blackberry points Pizza to this uh, corruption in the form of a tree that uh, Pizza has to go inside. And Pizza uses the brush to fight the corruption. And after that, they go visit Chicory, who isn't doing the best emotionally, has a lot of self-doubt, and um, is kind of in a depressive state. But... Chicory encourages Pizza to keep the brush and be her mentee. So the goals of the game from here become to fight that corruption that's sprouting up everywhere, uh, maybe discover the source of the corruption, like why this has started to happen, and explore the relationship of teacher and student, the relationship of Chicory and Pizza. The game ends up exploring lots of serious topics like creativity and critique Uh, meeting expectations, um, reflecting on your decisions you've made in the past, uh, grief, uh, sexuality. And a lot of these themes are explored in the main characters, but also through the numerous citizens you meet throughout Picnic Province. And most of these people in this place are trying to find some kind of purpose, or they want want to be somewhere, they know where they want to be, and they need your help getting there. And all the citizens are named after a food of some kind, so Mm -hmm. we're keeping in theme with that idea. And many of them have tasks that involve using your paintbrush to find things or color things in for them. And this is where we get to the gameplay. While you move pizza around, you can 
independently move a cursor for the paintbrush around and you can color things in. And that includes buildings and characters. And you can at any time change the active paint color you're using. You can change the size of the brush. Uh, You can find brush styles that change the shape of your strokes. You can erase the paint if you make mistakes. And everything you color in will retain its color for the remainder of the game. The game makes a record of everything you do with your brush. And if you revisit a location five hours later, it's going to look the same way that you left it. Much of the exploring will involve puzzle solving, where you're doing things like activating switches, uh, finding secret entrances, uh, doing light platforming. And you can also find outfits for pizza. So kind of like Runbow, Mm -hmm. you can find many dozens of hat items and clothes items to wear. Um, There are more clothing options here, I would say, than any other game we've talked about before. Ooh, yeah. I'm... I'll pull up the list and and correct you if I think you're wrong, but keep going. I think there are situations like Hollow Knight where you don't have clothing options. You don't have like visual differences, but you have tons of charms you can equip, Mm -hmm. right? But I think this is the first time cosmetically we have this many. Um, There are also other collectibles of all kinds. You can pick up litter. um, You can find lost kittens called Lost Kids. And they go to like an orphanage of some kind. And you can also find furniture and decor to place into the world. And that's sometimes how you finish tasks for people. They want you to decorate a room that's blank. And they want chairs and and tables and uh, wall art to be put up. And as you fight the corruption in Picnic, you're earning new maneuvers for pizza, uh, like seeing in the dark, swimming in the paint, and jumping. And this is where the game kind of becomes a lighter Metroidvania of sorts, where you're picking up abilities that let you go to places and do things you couldn't do before. So, yeah. Wild. I know. So, uh, yeah. And then there are about, I think there are 10 chapters to the game story. So that is the setup for Chicory, A Colorful Tale. It is uh, quite a long game. I mean, we've played some shorter games this season, like Superhot and Abzu. This one took me quite a bit longer. Um, But Disco-Cola, I was just curious, what are your thoughts on Chicory, A Colorful Tale? Yeah, um, so I'm going to be honest. Even though I I re-approved this game, I still wasn't totally looking forward to playing Chicory pretty much at all. Um, But I have to say that this game surprised me in so many ways. Um, First off, I assumed the cover character, Pizza, I assumed that was Chicory. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, right. instead I played as a dog cat called Calzone. Yeah, so Chicory is the next main character, you yeah. know, but that that was a swerve for me too. I yeah. expected that dog to be Chicory. Uh my next surprise is that this had a co-op mode. So like I I mentioned earlier, I started playing this with my wife and she helped me like pick the name Calzone. I was however not surprised at what co-op actually was and what co-op actually is is that the f- first player controls pizza right and then you also get a brush to control but then your co-op partner also has a brush to control so you can just color things with someone's assistance you have the same you know controls you had before it's like some mario games like uh, the mario galaxy uh, games where there's someone just you know they have a wand or something yeah essentially um the next sort of surprise was the length of the game i you know, because of my limited free time that I have in my life, I do look up every single featured game on the website, How Long to Beat, mm-hmm. uh, so that I can sort of plan my whole season. So I knew that this one 
I knew it was going to be a bit longer, but I still like started to feel overwhelmed by the length at times and worried that I wasn't going to finish it uh, in time. So that was a surprise. Um, this game has boss battles, ah, yeah. which I was not even <laughs> sort of remotely expecting could be possible. Um, but perhaps the biggest surprise to me was the true scope and focus of the game. I thought this was simply going to be you play as a dog and you paint the world. I thought it was just this cozy game. Um, and it has that in it, but that is totally not what this game is about. So my biggest surprise is that this game is not what I thought it was going to be just yeah. pretty much at all. Yeah. I, I think it's really hard to summarize this game by just looking at the cover and maybe reading a short description. Like there's, there's quite a lot in here. Even if, as I recall, I did look up a trailer and even then, like I, I sort of wasn't what I was expecting either, mm-hmm. but yeah. Before I get into my likes and dislikes, like what did you know about the game before uh, we started season four? Like you're the one that picked this at the end of season yeah. three. What did you know about it? I had seen some videos about it. I'd seen some critics talk about it, um, but that doesn't mean I knew everything about it. I did know it was an adventure game, so that was expected. But I think it's also accurate to call this a a nearly pacifist Metroidvania, <laughs> you know, where you're not you're not doing combat, you're not fighting things other than those boss battles, um, which are pretty few and far between. Um, but you're adventuring around, gathering um, tools and upgrades that let you see the world differently. And so, uh, also, I wasn't expecting as many characters. You know, this world is just filled with so many citizens. There's just so many there named characters. people, dude. Yes, and yeah. so many of them have quests for you. And they come back pretty, fr- like some of them come back pretty frequently in disparate places. Yeah. There's little scripted moments where characters can show up, but as far as who shows up is kind of random. So it's a nice mix of like scripted and unscripted. I like that. Um, I didn't expect so many collectibles. When you add up the lost kids, the trash, the small gift boxes that have the clothes, the large gift boxes that have the paintbrush styles, it's hundreds. So there's a lot there. Um, I also expected Chicory to be the name of the dog. And I also didn't expect so many what I call pillow talk themes, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where characters lay bare their feelings. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of the stuff between Chicory and pizza, but it also happens in dozens of places with the citizens of Picnic. Mm-hmm. And so we'll get into some of those instances that you know were emotionally um, affecting for us maybe a little bit later. Awesome. Well, Papusa, here is what <laughs> I like about Chicory, A Colorful Tale. Okay, lay it on me, Calzone. Quite a bit. I like a quite a bit of this game, honestly. Nice. I was not looking forward to it, but uh, yes. I, it surprised me in so many ways for the better. I love the story. I think it is compelling. And it, it maybe it won't be relatable for everyone, but it was relatable for me. Some people have much more perfect lives than I do and don't have to deal with uh, what Chicory is going through. So um, relatable. And even if I'm not good or even hardly interested in visual art, I can still relate to some of those struggles on, on a different level, mm-hmm. um, just in different fields. Mm-hmm. So... Um, relatable, love the story. Um, I love pretty much every major and minor character. Peppermint and Beans 
are some of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there isn't really a character I dislike too much. They're the ones that run the um, orphanage, right? Beans runs the orphanage. Runs the orphanage. Peppermint <laughs> is Pizza's biggest fan. Oh, that's right. The, like, yes. the cute little bird. Yes. Um, so I love running into Peppermint. Um, I love the collectibles in this game. They are some of the more unique collectibles I've dealt with. Um, waiting for sound cues to recover lost kids is a delight. It gives me a reason to pause when I find a new screen. Analyzing screens to find the correct path to a present is really fun. Mm-hmm. I love taking that upwards of two minutes sometimes trying to figure out which order, what the order of operations is to yeah. to find my way to the present. And I think it's worth mentioning when you enter a screen with a puzzle, usually the puzzles in this game are, are contained to one screen. Yeah. It's not like you're picking up something from elsewhere in the map and you need to bring it all the way to this place and then you're scrolling back and forth. You do a little bit to get a code to a door sometimes, mm-hmm. but most of the time it is you're on the screen and everything you need to solve that puzzle is in that screen, which is is nice and approachable. And then the cool thing about the present is that it gives you um, an item that you can use in some of my favorite parts of the game, which uh, are the the costume riddles. I loved figuring out the costume riddles. Um, It gave me a reason to experiment with clothes, which is something I usually don't bother with in a lot of games. I find one outfit that I like pretty early and I just keep it. Mm -hmm. Um, But this gave me a reason to experiment with the clothing and uh, it gave me a reason to go back to the hometown. It kept me grounded in a weird way. So I love the costume riddles. I like the rollout of abilities in Chicory. It feels like a great progression. And it eventually gives me a reason to care about painting the world. And that's something that I didn't care about for most of the game. I was not interested in painting the world. But you have to do it in order to use your abilities to progress to new places. So... Mm-hmm. The way the abilities work in Chicory um, encouraged me to do what I thought was going to be a majority of the game. So that's a really interesting way to force me to do something um, and then uh, begin to maybe enjoy it a little bit more. And like like you mentioned on that topic, the game sort of became something of a Metroidvania. And that was really cool <laughs> to see that I can eventually get from anywhere on the map to another place on the map once I have all of my skills. Um, I think the music from Lena Rain is pretty good. Lena Rain was the composer for Celeste. Yep. And we even at one point get a quick action type song that was actually really good. Like I love that song. That song's pretty cool. Um, and then my last uh main like is that the boss battles look rad as hell. Yeah. I'm not always enjoying myself while I'm doing them, <laughs> but they are super awesome to behold. And yes, I think they they're so creative. They're visually distinct and there's like little tropes they play with, but then boss battle to boss battle, things vary a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes you're, the screen is mirrored and oh, you're controlling yeah. like two paintbrushes at once and one is on the left, one's on the right. And it's messing with your mind because yeah. the controls are inverted. And it's it's so fun. And visually, it's like such a contrast to, again, what I expected this game to be at times. It just gets, it morphs into something that I never thought Chicory was going to have. Mm-hmm. So super cool stuff. Uh, I do have dislikes with Chicory, A Colorful Tale. Some of the platforming challenges can be a bit annoying because different elevations can be hard to discern. Um, even when the world is actually very carefully painted, uh, to try and break up different levels, it can still be hard to figure out how elevated you are at any given time. 
Um, the whole world seems to have outlines with like very literally broad strokes. Um, and there are some like small little coves that you have to paint so that you can like swim under the low clearance. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And while it feels really satisfying to do that double take when you think you notice one, it seems like they can still be a bit too easy to miss just because of those outlines that are very broad. Yeah, like, it's already thick. And yeah. then you're just introducing a little bit more thickness, in my understanding. You, yeah, right? it, yeah, or just like a little bit of a little bit of a bell curve, just like a little Yeah. So it, it can be hard to notice those sometimes. Yep. On a similar note, I don't think all of the like pieces of litter are super well defined. So it can be yes. hard to tell what is litter or what is a flower or just like a piece of of land. I ran into that too. And most of the time it was that I didn't notice the litter, but then I noticed one time on one of the beaches, there was just this like little rock that looked like a piece of litter. Mm-hmm. And I, I sat there like pressing the X button trying to pick it up. <laughs> it wasn't a piece of litter. It wasn't a piece of litter. It was just a rock. <laughs> yeah. So that happens a lot too. And I'm sure I, I don't know how much of the litter collection I have, but I feel like that's going to be a, a big pain point for me as I yeah. go to complete this game. Thankfully, there are certain characters in the world. They're spread out, so you have to know where they are, but certain characters will tell you where are all the lost kids, where are all the trash, like which pro- which area of the province yeah. has the most trash. But it's very general. It's general, It's but it gives you a starting point. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, and my biggest complaint is that I just do not care to paint unless I have to, to progress. I'm not interested in doing the painting it's it's hard. I played this on console. Maybe it's easier on PC, but um, it's just like so hard to get anything that looks neat or defined or drawing on using a controller just mm-hmm. isn't interesting. And I'm not good at visual art anyway, so I don't have a lot of fun. I don't feel good when I create visual art anyway. So to just have that piece of chicory is just not something I'm interested in. That's that's a me thing, but I yep. yeah, it's to- just totally so it. it's so much. Totally There's it. such a big canvas and I'm not interested in doing it. So so much about chicory was a surprise for me and it was a pleasant surprise. Everything I expected, I wasn't looking forward to and all of those elements are still in the game, but in the whole, it is a small part of the game. I got so much more out of this game that I could have expected and because I don't love visual art sections i'll probably finish the trophy list and then be done with it but i'll always remember chicory in a positive way i'm going to give this game an 8.0 out of 10 awesome okay eight for disco cola on to my thoughts um i think chicory a colorful tale has a lot more in store than it lets on and it is an adventure i'm very glad to have taken i was really pulling for this game, not having played it, you know, before it got vetted as a featured game. And now I'm here on the other side and I'm glad I took this adventure. And what I love most about this game, like far and away is just how real this game is um, and how brave it is in what it explores. Um, This game ends up being a vehicle for talking openly about difficult subjects that apply to pretty much anyone who has ever faced the challenge of expectation. Mm -hmm. And I think you could argue that's most people with a pulse. You know, I I think that is most people who have ever had to create something, especially, and feel the pressure of expectation either from others or from themselves. 
I think that describes most people. And so um, I identified with so many themes and pieces of advice and reassuring ideas from this game, like, you know, this game reminds us that no one is perfect. Um, this game reminds us that everybody needs a break and that you're your own worst critic. Uh, but Chicory is more than the challenges of being a creative person, because it sounds like this just might be through the lens of someone who's a painter or someone who is a, an artist, however you want to define that. But the game more broadly explores how everyone should express their imagination. And um, it's a game about cherishing the friends and family who love you. And it's about finding your identity, whether it's your place in a family or your sexuality or your role in a career and other things. Um, it's just hard to list everything this game is about, but it touches on it so consistently, thoughtfully, no matter what it's talking about. And I find that approach so admirable. I was just floored with how maturely it talks about these things. And there's so much personality in the citizens of Picnic. Um, the fonts of speech change depending on who you talk to. You know, when you talk to a little mouse, they have like a little squeaky looking mm -hmm. font style in their, yeah. in their speech bubble. And you just already know what they sound like. Um, when you talk to like a larger arachnid, there's like webs in their speech bubble. Love that. Um, but no matter who you talk to, the dialogue is written authentically. And a lot of these conversations feel like real world conversations that were transcribed into this game with animals that have food names. And somehow I still get emotionally invested in all of that. And so that is astounding to me. Uh, the upgrades, like you said, make me really excited about my ability to discover places again. You know, I, I will get the ability to swim and paint. And I go, oh, that's how I do that mm -hmm. screen that I saw an hour yeah. ago, of course. And so it makes me really energized to revisit those places. The puzzles also don't really stump me for too long. Uh, I keep making steady progress, uh, but I'm not steamrolling through the game. So there's a great balance there. And then I note the music from uh, Lena Rain. I am very impressed by the soundtrack, even though I don't love every piece. And I, I think it's hard to love every piece in the soundtrack because the soundtrack is so long and there's just got such a wide range. Mm -hmm. There are so many instrumentals in this thing. There's piano and, and flutes and clarinets, like things we've heard in other games, but then there's like melodicas and pan flutes and Irish whistles. Uh, there's cello and um, violas and violins. And I'm just impressed. It, you know, the list goes on and on and on of, of instrumentals if you look up the soundtrack of this game. And the game can be like bright and cheerful in its soundtrack, but it can also be reflective and melancholic where it needs to be. Um, one of my favorite songs is the Gulp Swamp theme, and that it it sounds like something that um, David Wise would have written for Donkey Kong Country. It sounds like a level that was in Donkey. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. It's like do 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 do. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that one. that's I, very David Wise. You're right. Yes, and I was like, "Wow, I'm I'm just digging so much of this soundtrack." And um, I think it's got one of the most impressive ranges of any soundtrack I can remember for games we've played for this podcast. So, um, huge shout out there. And then I love that this game is so accessible with its customization options, with its option menu, right? And this is coming off of you know last time we reviewed Abzu. 
and the options menu looked like it was thrown together in 10 minutes. And it was like, <laughs> do you want to invert the camera? And uh, do you want to save and quit to the title? And that's about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> do you want to resume? And here you can toggle off the wet sounds, right? Oh, when you're yeah, painting, I you, could see how some people, wet. yeah. So if you have um, misophonia, which my wife has, that is like an aversion to wet sounds, basically. You know, so if you are annoyed by people's chewing, um, you might want to turn off wet sounds in Chicory a Colorful Tale. And I had them off from the beginning. I didn't do an A-B test with my wife, but I played this sitting on the couch next to her, and she never complained about okay. the sound. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> and uh, so it's that level of precision with the options. You can skip boss fights if you're getting frustrated. Um, you can warp to luncheon from anywhere. You have to do it from that pause menu, but it is part of the accessibility set of features here. And so we're always big fans of these diverse options that provide more accessibility. There are even more for people who have specific wants or needs with the accessibility. Um, there's just too many to list, I think. What I dislike about Chicory Colorful Tale, I played this on PlayStation 5, so I was using the controller, and I found that with a gamepad, that control scheme hinders progress sometimes because aiming the brush can be slow and imprecise. And mm -hmm. I really have to jiggle the stick to get what I want sometimes. And so I felt like I was only able to move at a fraction of the speed as someone who might be playing on PC. Yeah. And so this is where I kind of know that PC might be the superior system to play this on. Now I have a question because I have never really handled a, a dual sense. So on PS4, which is where I played it, you can use the the touch part of the controller to move the the paintbrush around. Oh, and that's actually a lot faster, but it's also hard to it's like imprecise. measure where you are yeah. on the screen. Does DualSense have like a touchy thingy? It does, okay. and I've used. It's a lot like the one on PS4, but I never touched that once for painting in this game. But I also know, based on experiences with other games, I wouldn't have liked that yeah. because I've tried. Um, you know how when you're using the keyboard on a PlayStation, you're going through that that keyboard and just kind of like using the D-pad or the analog stick to select letters? Yeah. I've tried an alternate version of that where you use your thumb as like a cursor to select keys on the keyboard, and I get really frustrated with that. So I think I would have not liked that on, yeah. on Chicory. It's, it's not great, but I did find a little bit more success than using the stick. Anyways. Okay. Well, I found myself continually wanting a mouse. You know, I wish I, I had my right hand with I the mouse. I think that would have been the optimal way to play this. Yeah. So right now, I just want to recommend if you're listening to this episode and you want to play Chicory, A Colorful Tale, and you don't care about what platform you play it on and you have access to a PC that can play it, I would recommend you play it on PC. I would too. If you don't I'm, care I'm about, a big old console boy, so yeah. If you don't care about Xbox One achievements, if you don't care about PlayStation trophies, go ahead and play it on PC. So I just think it'll be smoother there if my assumption is correct that the mouse controls that paintbrush. Um, boss battles feel clumsy with that controller too. Just kind of notably, I found myself amazed by the style of the boss battle. I like the idea of the boss battle. It's just in practice, I felt myself, you know, really doing a lot of clumsy movements with that controller. I don't feel terribly enticed to try out new paint options when I get new brush styles, right? I see them as collectibles. Mm -hmm. Once I find something that works for me, I just 
stick with it until I find something better, which doesn't happen terribly often in Chicory. So that's another dislike I have is it feels like the game is encouraging me to try new things and I don't feel enticed to do that. And then with all the paint options I find, I'm not in love with how the world ends up looking after I paint it. This is more of a me thing, but everything, when I'm done with an area, everything can kind of look like a mess. And I don't love that. I don't love how I'm (laughs) making this place look. And again, it might be something where if I were on PC, I might fall in love with that a little bit more. Uh, But that's just me. And then with all the side quests and miscellaneous tasks, I think there should be a section in the pause menu where it's logging a to-do list of some kind. There's so much in that pause menu already. You can look at so many things. You can look at a really nice map. You can look at um, uh, a list of all your collectibles. But when someone tells me, um, you know, they need something somewhere done, I wish I didn't have to go back to them or remind myself what I need to do. This is similar to what I said about Teacup as well, where you're talking to all these characters and they want you to do things, but you don't have a journal. But here, I think it's even more baffling that there's not a journal because the world is massive and there are so many more tasks in this thing. And then I got the platinum already. Congratulations. Thank you. But- as a completionist and trophy hunter, you're going to have to collect everything in this game. And you need to meticulously explore every single area, right? And that just became tedious. And this is just, you know, for people who go for everything. Again, I loved revisiting places with new abilities to find new map screens and stuff and see a place I hadn't seen before. But you're ha- you have to find all the litter. You have to find all the lost kids. You have to find all the present boxes. And so there are tons of detours you have to find. Um, the map ends up being bigger than it looks, too, because there are sub areas that aren't represented on the map. Yeah. You know, So you don't always know where to go. It can feel like I'm spending more time looking for silly things than I'm spending accomplishing something that matters in that completionist run. I also agree the elevation differences can be difficult to discern. I actually wrote that down so I wouldn't forget it, as you mentioned it, because I forgot about that point. And then there is a recurring mechanic with using these bubbles that explode. Oh, yeah. I didn't like using those. Not my favorite. uh, Because it feels really graceless. It feels clumsy. They don't go where I want them to go. And uh, I just found that to happen too much. But overall, Trickery A Colorful Tale is not always my favorite game to control, but I have a huge respect for how it makes me generate empathy for its characters and feel seen for my own anxieties. I love the story, the world, and the music. I am not giving this game a 10 out of 10, and the only reason I'm deducting points is for the gameplay that I just didn't always click with. Um, But I do still think everybody who likes games, um, especially indie games, and feeling something through a game should play Trickery A Colorful Tale. I also want to rate this an 8 out of 10. Oh, man. Heckers, so we're really dude. aligned on this. Yeah. So I, I have this like spreadsheet of, of all of our scores laid out in an attractive way. And the last five featured game scores are all 8.0, including today's two scores. For you? For us combined. Oh, my god. So gosh. we both gave 8.0 to Chicory. We both gave 8.0 to Abzu. And then you gave an 8.0 to Superhot. <laughs> to Superhot. Yeah. So, Wow. So we'll see how far we can get that streak. That's crazy. Yeah, I just, it wasn't everything I expected, but I'm so glad that it was a positive experience for both of us. This game covers all those 
topics that aren't the easiest to bring up with somebody else. But um, I think a lot of people struggle with self-critique and imposter syndrome. I, I struggle with that stuff a lot. And uh, this game discusses that in depth. There are sit-down conversations with chicory and pizza that are conversations I kind of wish I was able to have more with people around me. And um, I'm just curious what parts of our creative and professional lives did we see in this game? Were you reminded of things? You don't have to go into anything super specific if you don't feel comfortable doing that. But um, what did this game remind you of? Nothing. My life is perfect. <laughs> I, I don't have any problems. That's the end of this episode <laughs> of Underplay. Uh no, I'm I'm in a constant state of chicory pretty much at all times. Right. Like we're both in in somewhat leadership roles, I would say, and and mm. you know, in charge of other creatives. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I'm always second, third, fourth, seven times guessing myself like am I doing the right thing? What are my hundreds of people going to think of this? You know, mm. what will the audience think of this after, you know, it goes out on the air? Just like, I'm always thinking about that kind of stuff and I never feel good about the choices I make. So <laughs> I'm, I am in a constant state of early game chicory. I was reminded of so many parts of my career. I've, I've changed roles slightly throughout my career and I've, I was reminded of you know, earlier parts and I was reminded of more recent parts and the earlier parts I was reminded of as like when I first got a full-time job after college and I was someone's successor because I was filling a, a hole left behind by mm-hmm. someone who had left. And I just felt the constant comparison of myself to that person. Not, from, from others or from yourself? I think I read into it a little too much, mm. right? Where I was just so new that nobody knew me yet, but I, I would be really self-conscious about, am I meeting their expectations based on what this person used to do, whose job I now have? Well, Papusa, you, not my, (laughs) not my direct predecessor, but the one before that, you know, the predecessor we had before that. And, uh, it's, it's hard to walk in those shoes as you might imagine, uh, cause that person was quite brilliant. And this game explores that idea but it also has a wonderful message about that too, which is nobody needs to be the model for anybody else and everybody can have their own paintbrush, right? You know, that's kind of the metaphor that's drawn here. And I love that. There's also this idea of a mentor that you idolize, right? So it might be a predecessor that you idolize, but I had a mentor at one point that I idolized. And I always needed to be perfect for that person. Mm-hmm. So this is another part of my life that I'm I'm now referencing. But I saw that in this game. Um, but then, you know, there's the realization that as long as that person is worth idolizing, they should be someone who accepts you for who you are, mm-hmm. right? And so I saw those parallels as well. And I was just curious, you know, what moments did you find emotionally affecting? There's lots of like, you know, the real talk moments. There are things you do in this game, maybe only once with another character. Did you come away with something that maybe is a really strong memory emotionally? Oh God, there's a few. Um, So like I said, I'm in a constant state of early game chicory. So early game chicory moments, like when we find her just in her room for the first time, we see her for the first time, you know, I've been there. I've felt that. 
early moments with Clementine, Pizza's sister. Yes. Um, so you're you're essentially given the paintbrush, which is something that's sought after for artists. Clementine is going to school to be an artist. And I've had so many cool things happen to me that I don't feel like I deserve mm. that other people should covet, you know, in my mind, they should covet. They should hate me for everything that I have. Mm. But she, she never like expresses any of that disappointment or anything. But I just like, if I were in, in pizza shoes, like how would I even begin to talk to Clementine yes. after being given the brush? Like, what would I say? What would I do? Yeah. You, you know? want to maintain that, that sibling relationship and everybody who gets something that they want might require a different amount of effort to get that thing. Yeah. And that's just inherently unfair in yeah, life. Exactly. And we have to accept that both when it works in our favor and when it doesn't. Right. Yeah. And I just, you know, one of my biggest like things just in life always has been fairness. So like it's hard for me to It's hard to reconcile that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh and then there's a there's something called the the wielder trials toward yes. the end of the game. Yeah. And we have one that Chicory didn't finish. And so she's unsure how it's supposed to go at the end. And there's like a bit of awkwardness, but it's adorable. But, you know, that resonates so much with me. It was just like, I've, you know, I'm in this role, but I don't necessarily know everything about it. So I'm kind of doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. And when I'm talking to other people or teaching other people, I'm I'm always just doing the best I can. I'm like, I'm going to be honest. I don't know how this part works. So <laughs> yeah. this is how I think it works. And I'm going to be awkward about it with you right. for a moment. There's something that that vulnerability is reassuring, though, in a lot of those moments. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, it's, it's actually one of the kindest things you can do for the other person because you're just showing that you're not afraid to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Papusa, how about you? Uh There was a moment that just happened with a character I only met on one screen, and it was Hummus. Hummus is a character sitting by a tree by themselves, and they have a friend, Parsley, who passed away. Mm -hmm. And they want to grow plants in this space next to the tree to kind of honor uh, Parsley and to commemorate Parsley. And this was just a tender moment of grief that just blindsided me. Like, I... Um, I put the controller down for a moment because yeah. it was just, I hadn't seen that kind of thing in the game yet. And I feel like all of these moments that it explores can be a little fleeting, you know, where you're not talking about parsley with hummus for a long time. And there's not, there's not like a lot of other characters passing away in the game that I know of. There's not a lot of other characters grieving in this way that I know of, but because it happens in this concentrated moment. I'm kind of savoring it. I'm savoring that feeling a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not happening everywhere. Um, there's a moment where you sing a song with Chicory. Uh, <laughs> that's another fleeting moment that stands out. Um, and then also just this general idea that if someone has a challenge or a sad story, you might assume, oh, once I help them out, they're going to have a happy ending. You know, it's I'm going to... I'm going to fix their lives, right? I'm going to be there for them because of me and the paintbrush. It's going to be a great resolution at the end. And a lot of these side stories don't have a clean, happy ending. And I think it's a reflection of our world where 
things can have bad endings. Things can have happy endings. A lot, a lot of things are gray area or neutral endings. Ongoing, even. Ongoing, yeah. yeah. To be determined as far as how we feel about this character. But I've done what I can and I've been there for them. And there's something really real about that that I love. Uh, there's another aspect that I think is admirable about this game, and it's that uh, the game includes a queer love story. And I just want to highlight that. And I feel like it's handled with the same attention um, any love story would would receive in a game like this. And I don't know if we've done enough up to this point to highlight these kinds of stories when they happen in these games, but I want to be better about pointing that out. So I thought that was handled really well. And then um, gameplay-wise, just kind of jumping back to the paint mechanic, because the world remains how you paint it for the entire experience, <laughs> which I think is really impressive technically, Yeah. Uh, how does that affect how you're exploring and decorating in Chicory? Uh, well, like I, I mentioned, I didn't really enjoy that part of it. So I'm sort of painting what I need to paint so that I can traverse all of the points that I need to paint. But I'm leaving a lot unpainted and maybe you know maybe if we're not on a deadline i'm feeling a little bit different or maybe if the game overall was a little bit shorter i could focus a little bit more on decorating the world sure but the maybe dozen or two dozen screens that i did put some care into um using all of the colors available to me on every single screen felt kind of important for some oh, reason. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because um, you have, like, depending on where you are on the map, one of four colors, and the yes. palette changes depending on what zone you're in. But, yeah, there's, like, one section where you have a very autumnal color palette, and I really enjoyed painting trees because this game has a lot of trees. And yes, so, and they're easy to color because yeah. you just press on them once and they're colored. Yeah. yeah, and so that I cared about that a lot more. It was just, like... You know, I love the autumn colors. Autumn's my favorite season. So when those opportunities were there, um, that's that's what I focused on as far as decorating. The reason I asked this question is because I had this realization way too late. I This is almost advice I'd give to a new player as something to consider, not something that's mandatory. But you could use color to mark the map and give yourself reminders mm, of certain things. Mm -hmm. Like if something stumps you, and you don't care about how that screen looks color-wise. Again, this won't work for every map screen. Couldn't you just draw a big X on the screen? You could, yeah. Because when you, you pause back? and look at the larger map, it shows all of the colors that you have, too. It does. So. so I think that would be a really quick way to remind yourself, like leaving breadcrumbs for yourself to find later. If you take 10 minutes and figure out a system for yourself, I could see that helping. There was a moment when I got the paint bucket, which is one of the brush style tools and it lets you fill in colors like immediately to a huge space like the color will just spread out and expand and i actually found it i think a little too late because yeah, it it's, it's toward the end of the game yeah but i didn't go up there as soon as i could for quite a while but i loved that that changed how i played where i just have the paint bucket equipped and i'm if i need to swim you know you have you can only swim on colored land and I am just using the paint bucket to quickly fill in things. And that's where I was saving some of the time. I felt like I was missing from so much of the game where I'm massaging that uh, paintbrush back and forth to find the right place to paint. Um, and then another way I used 
paint. I'm like you where I'm leaving a lot of things uncolored because I just don't care to do that. I did, anytime I, I met a character, I gave them a color for their body and I gave them a color for their clothes. Mm. So when you when you click on their clothes, whatever color you have selected, that's all of their clothes. And then on their body, that's all of their body color. So I gave them two different colors per person. And there's something about that that just seems like a, the right amount of completion for me. I don't know why, <laughs> but um, I thought that, thought that was fun. And then uh, this game also reminded me of art school in, in some minor ways. And art school is a game from episode two <laughs> of our podcast, but it is a game that I didn't give nearly as high of a score, but it's a game about drawing. It's about you're on a campus finding art tools that let you make new kinds of drawings. And there's this idea of slowly finding more art tools like the brush styles, but also like between both games, I don't feel enticed to try the new tools in either game. So I think that's kind of highlighting the fact that that's a me problem, mm -hmm. right? It's not necessarily the game's problem. And then one difference is you can take art classes to draw prompts in trickery, and those end up getting hung up in the world. And I am more invested in that because I'm forced to look at it again. Whereas in art school, I do all these oh, prompts. Yeah. I do dozens of art prompts, and then I never see what I make again. It just disappears. That was something you specifically said. This would make art school better. And here it is in Chicory. So wow. I do appreciate that. And so now that it has happened in practice, I can confirm I do appreciate that. So just wanted to point that out. Um, that is all I had on Chicory Colorful Tale. Is anything left unsaid, Disco Cola? Oof. I mean, <laughs> we could turn Chicory a Colorful Tale into a therapy session, but I won't do you that could. to our audience. You could. Well, I think it is a form of therapy, you know, yeah. because I found it therapeutic. I found it making me reflective on times when I struggled emotionally, especially about just creating things yeah. <laughs> and and the pressure of that. Yeah. Sometimes I even, you know, I I don't I don't want to let you down, Papusa. So sometimes I I have that with uh with just underplayed. So right, I have it too with so. the podcast. So yeah, you're you're not alone in that, and um, so that's that's reassuring to hear. And uh, I thank you for being vulnerable for this episode, maybe a little bit more so than other episodes. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, that is our review of Chicory, a colorful tale. You can play it on PC, Mac, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation Four. PlayStation 5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X and S. We both rated it an 8. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed and on common podcast services like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg. Our art comes from Oni Mochi. Underplayed is on Twitter at underplayedpod. You can find me on Twitter at Bopo, that's B-O underscore P-O, and check out that same handle on the GG app where you can see my game lists and what I'm currently playing. And I am at Disco Cola on Twitter, Twitch, and the GG app as well. And uh, look for Underplayed on Twitch. We've been playing Cuphead, but uh, by the time this episode comes out, maybe we'll be playing a little bit of Rumbo. So yeah. uh, look for us on Twitch and follow us there as well. Next time, we'll have two more secret games to review, and our featured game will be Unsighted, a Metroidvania developed by Studio Pixel Punk. Until then, everyone, keep on playing.